Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from ESPN in the middle of Connecticut is Sarah Abbott, uh, away from the heartland of Nebraska. Taylor Schwink is working from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut. And I'm Buster only working from my home in New York. And there's a lot of talk in New York these days about the Yankees, who are absurdly hot. And no one is any hotter right now than Aaron Judge, who had himself a day on Tuesday. That one's drilled deep to left field. Going back, Hayes looking up, and it's off the wall. LeMayu around third. He is going to score. Judge is going for three, and he is out. That one's driven deep to center field, going back, Mullen, still back, looking up, see ya, a home run to get central, Judge has two tonight, and the game is tied at three. Yeah, his first three plate appearances, he had a double and two home runs, Yankees win the game five to four, and after the game, Yankees manager Aaron Boone talked about Judge. He got, uh... Almost three, but build your own park got, got him there and left. Um, it was a special night. Yeah, he was talking about the new dimensions in Camden Yards, which uh, <laughs> took a home run away from Aaron Judge. He would have had three otherwise. Pretty amazing. The Yankees are now 27 and nine. And how would you like to be a Red Sox fan this morning? It's the middle of May, and they're 13 games out of first place. After what happened in Fenway Park last night, and it happened quickly. That ball drilled to left field. Back goes Verdugo. He's going to watch this one go. Jordan Alvarez hits one out the other way over the monster. His success against Evaldi continues. Almost all his damage on the road as he drives one high to right field. This win is going to help this one all the way back. Bradley Jr. gone over the Astros bullpen and right. A two-run shot. And the Astros take a three-to-one lead. Elevate to that pull side and use Mother Nature to give you a boost. And carried out of here. This ball's drilled to left field all the way back and gone. Jeremy Pena, welcome back to Fenway. In front of his dad, his mom, friends, and family, Pena drills one over the monster. What a moment for the kid from Rhode Island. Brantley drives one high and deep to right field. Has he done it? Yes. Three-run bomb. We said he doesn't take a lot of home run swings, but there was one. A three-run shot, and the Astros pouring it on here with a seven spot in the second inning. Yuli Gurriel drives one deep to left field. Number five on the inning. Incredible. The Astros have pummeled five home runs in the second inning and lead this game nine to one. Yeah, that's right. Five home runs allowed in the second inning of Tuesday night's game by Nathan Valdi, who became the third pitcher in Major League history to allow five homers in one inning. He left amid booze. At the end of the night, the Red Sox 
13 games behind the Yankees in the American League East. I'll be talking with Alan Gonzalez coming up about what a Red Sox midseason sell-off might look like. The Royals in the White Sox played a doubleheader on Tuesday. The Royals taking game two. Here's the one-two pitch, and that ball is well struck to deep right center field. Away back goes the center fielder. He leaps at the wall, and there it is. MJ Melendez first major league home run. The Royals have a 2-0 lead. Yeah, that from Steve Fiziok, 6'10", KCSP. Bryce Harper did not start for the Phillies in Tuesday's game against the Padres after he got a platelet-rich plasma injection in his right elbow. He's unlikely to play today as well. The New York Mets announced Tuesday that an MRI performed on Jacob DeGrom's right shoulder blade revealed continued healing of a stress reaction that has sidelined him all season, but there is still no word over when he might actually be able to pitch again. Let's face it, if he has a setback anytime coming up, it probably means he's not going to pitch this season. Orioles pitcher Matt Harvey was suspended 60 games by Major League Baseball for distributing drugs. That information came out during the recent trial of Eric Kay, which followed the death of pitcher Tyler Skaggs. The Ones Who Get It Done is brought to you by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry backed by 24-7 support and access to product specialists. Call, click Granger.com, or stop by. You know who gets it done? Mike Trout. Trout drives that one left field. That ball is hit well. That one is gone. Go ahead, home run for Mike Trout. Angels take a 4-3 lead. Bring out your driver. Low pitch. Trout rockets it out. But the Rangers would come back. Here's the 1-1. Swing and a line drive, base hit into left field for Eli White. Lowe is in the score, and the ball gets by Marsh. It goes all the way to the wall. Two runs have scored. White's digging for home. Here's the relay throw. Eli dives across the plate. The Rangers get three more. The Dodgers took a doubleheader from the Arizona Diamondbacks with help from Justin Turner. Gilbert's pitch. Swung on and drilled in the air to center field and deep. This ball heading back to the wall. It is gone. A two-run home run. Justin Turner. Dodgers lead it 6-3. The Chicago Cubs placed outfielder Jason Hayward on the injured list with no designation, which means it's probably related to COVID-19. Manager David Ross said Hayward is, quote-unquote, doing okay and added he had some real stuff in talking about his symptoms. Hayward is in year seven of that eight-year deal he made with the Cubs, and we'll tell you a little later why that deal led to a lifetime commitment for him. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, before we move on, we are in the thick of NBA Conference Finals. The Heat, they put the beat down on the Celtics last night. You know our guy, Zach Lowe, going to be all over that and Mavericks, Golden State Warriors, that starts up tonight. Luca, can he pull Dallas into the finals? Very exciting stuff. I'm really uh, enjoying these playoffs here. I know Zach Lowe is on the low post, as our Swagoon perk for a certain new episode came out yesterday for those two. So check out the low post with Zach Lowe and Swagoon perk wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Adlin Gonzalez covers baseball for ESPN, which right now means talking about the Boston Red Sox, Adlin, because last night after that loss, the five home runs allowed in one inning by Nathan Avaldi, the question about whether or not the Red Sox, who made the playoffs last year, might be midseason sellers seems more real than ever because they're 13 games behind the Yankees in the American League East in mid-May. Pretty tough to recover from that. Uh, what's your instinct as to whether or not the Red Sox this year will actually think about trading, you know, the likes of Xander Bogarts and Christian Vasquez and all these guys that they have will be free agents in the fall? Yeah, Buster, it's very easy with the Red Sox just to see, given how talented the American League East is, um, how quickly things can spiral downward for that team. When you're in a division with the Blue Jays and the Rays and the Yankees, who have obviously shown no let-up in sight, they seem like one of those obvious teams that would sell at the deadline. And, you know, those are the teams you kind of watch for because you, you remember back to last summer when the Cubs were selling off, when a Nationals team that was very good recently started selling off, and you got all these big names out on the market I think the Red Sox could very easily represent that this year. And I think they'd be incentivized to do so because I think there'd be a lot of teams that would be interested in their players, especially with the expanded postseason. Xander Bogarts, to me, is the obvious one. If they don't get a read that they can't extend him, obviously he could opt out of his contract after this season. He's the guy, I think, that they got to move if they could get a lot back in return. And my sense is that they would be able to. I know the St. Louis Cardinals have been thrown out as a very good fit for him. That one seems obvious to me, but I'm sure there are others when you've got somebody like Xander Bogarts in play. 
mentioned their starting pitching. They would have a lot of starting pitchers who would be coveted by their teams, especially at a time when I don't think there's going to be a lot of starting pitching available midsummer. And another bat that I would look for is J.D. Martinez, a free agent at the end of the year. Now you've got the, the designated hitter of the National League now. There'd be a lot of suitors there. Look, it's still early. We're still around the middle of May. They could still get it back together. They have the talent. But again, it's that's a very competitive division, and you could lose ground very quickly there. And, I, you know, in some respects, their poor start makes it easy for front office, for ownership to make this decision, right? I mean, if they were just sort yeah. of hanging in that seven to eight game deficit, that would be one thing. But to be this deep this early, if that trend continues, then it makes it an easy decision for the Red Sox ownership if they're not going to re-sign Xander Bogarts. And by the way, uh, I asked this of Paul Ambikides this morning about strength of schedule at this point. Incredibly, the Red Sox have had the easiest schedule wow. <laughs> among the five uh, American League East uh, teams to this point. Moving forward, the Toronto Blue Jays have the easiest schedule in the division. They haven't had a chance to play the Orioles yet. You know, the Yankees have had a, a more uh, a, more difficult schedule than the Red Sox. So if you're the Red Sox leadership, you're not thinking it's necessarily going to get better. Now, uh, I, I talked, to, uh, wrote about the Bogart situation in a piece on ESPN.com that's up there now. It was done after I had some conversations with executives around baseball last week. And one of the names that popped up in a couple of my conversations was surprising to me, and it's very interesting, and that is Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals. Now, I want to make this clear. At this point, this is all speculation. There's no indication that the Nationals have had any conversations with any team about Juan Soto, but I had some executives, Alden, uh, give me the reasons why his name might come up in their mind. One, the Nationals are obviously having a terrible season. Two, they put a big number in front of Soto in negotiations, but Soto turned it down. As you know, he's a client of Scott Boris, who yeah. almost always takes his clients to free agency. And here's the real wild card. The team is currently up for sale. And if you're an incoming owner, one of the uh, things that you might say to the outgoing ownership, the Lerner family might be, look, do you think that you're going to be able to sign Soto? Is that a possibility? If the answer back is no, if I'm an incoming owner, I'm like, you need to make that trade before I come on board because I do not want that to be the first thing on my resume as an owner, <laughs> trading Soto. Maybe that, you know, that he would be the best young player that we've ever seen traded at age 23. So with all that in mind, uh, you kind of wonder if at some point internally, the Nationals at least explore the idea. Are you buying? So counterpoint, if I'm an incoming owner, what I would like to tell you is there's no way that you are going to get rid of the most valuable asset on this franchise before I take ownership of it. And obviously that would be Juan Soto. It does make sense, though, when you outline it in those terms. It actually brings me back to conversations that we used to have before the extension around Mike Trout and just how much value can you get for somebody right. like Mike Trout, so young, doing these things at that age. I just, I don't see it. And I know this is not ultimately his call, but Mike Rizzo doing something like that, especially one year removed from trading Matt Scherzer and Ray Turner, 
I think they still look at Juan Soto as a guy that they'd like to build around. He's still got three years left of control. So much can happen in those three years. I understand he's a Scott Boras client and those guys hit the open market, especially when they're as talented as Juan Soto is. But I can't imagine them not trying to build around that guy. Um, Not just because he's one of the most talented players in the sport. He's one of the best hitters that I've ever seen already, but just he's that kind of persona. He's so clearly a star. He's so clearly the type of guy that you want to keep. And going back to the Mike Trout link, I remember a lot of the takeaway from Mike Trout when people were wondering what they could get in return. It ultimately came down to, I don't, they weren't sure if you could get enough back to justify a Mike Trout trade, particularly when he was that young. Can the Nationals really get back enough in prospects to justify trading a 23-year-old Juan Soto, who might go down as one of the greatest hitters to ever play the game? And granted, his trajectory is still early. That's tough. It's hard for me to see it. I, I mean, Buster, I'm curious, like, who would be the fit there, right? Because you'd have to give up a lot. Yeah, the two teams that were mentioned to me uh, in these conversations I had last week would be one, uh, the San Diego Padres, because they are hyper aggressive. Uh, You know, one executive said, hey, if you offered Gore and C.J. Abrams, a terrific young shortstop, that would create a foundation. And he mentioned that, you know, the Nationals last year, Mike Rizzo was creative enough to get two, you know, terrific foundation pieces in that trade involving Scherzer and Trey Turner. And the other team that was mentioned was the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, who clearly are in a win now mode. Uh, And how much fun would it be? And again, this is all speculation at this point. How much fun would that be to see Vladdy Jr. and Juan Soto hitting back-to-back in that Toronto lineup? It'd be amazing. I mean, I thought a lot about this in um, around mid-April about how fun it would have been to have seen Jose Ramirez in that Toronto lineup. And I know they were interested in that as well. That'd be amazing. And with regards to the Padres, I mean, they're looking for offense. And, And I could see like Nelson Cruz getting traded there in the middle of the summer. They've been wanting Nelson Cruz for a while. Juan Soto would obviously be a different level. That Padres farm system has been stripped pretty bare over the last few years. But one thing that has happened this year is that Mackenzie Gore has elevated himself into a dude. Like he's going to be a guy that teams are going to want. They have a plethora of starting pitching depth now. And I know I'm getting too into the weeds on a complete hypothetical, but I used to think that they had no more pieces to acquire a name like that. But Mackenzie Gore and what he's done, uh, I think might have changed the dynamic there. Yeah, and I think there's something different with Soto uh, uh, that maybe separates or may differentiates him from the Trout situation. I think you and I agreed all the way up to the point when Trout, Trout signed that extension that he was someone who was more likely to want to stay in, a, in that place. Yes, I think you, if I remember correctly, I thought all along Trout would work out a deal with the Angels, and you did too? Yeah, there was a comfort aspect there that I, I think he, he did want to find a way to make that work. Yes. My gut instinct is with Soto, it's different. <laughs> I, I just kind of wonder if Soto is a player who, and this is completely his prerogative, not only is going to want you know the big stage, but the biggest possible dollars, and that would come through free agency. I think if he actually reaches free agency, this is a guy who has a chance to be the first $500 million player. What do you think? I think that's a good point. And I know Mike Trout a lot better than I know Juan Soto. But one thing I knew about Mike Trout was that he wasn't so much interested in 
pushing it to be the highest earner ever or to go to the big market. And, you know, this Buster, he's a guy who likes to play baseball, likes to have fun, likes to be in his own world and basically just be left alone. Um, Juan Soto, maybe not as much like that. My sense from him is I don't know so much about being the first $500 million guy, although that does make sense. But he seems like somebody who realizes that he is a star caliber talent. And I think my sense from the outside is that he is somebody who is interested in maximizing that. Maybe not unlike Francisco Lindor, right? Um, being traded to the Mets, wanting to be in a big market, wanting to set the market for shortstops. I see some of that in Juan Soto as well. All right. The American League West, uh, we've seen a shift in leadership in recent days. The Astros have been playing great. They're in first place. They lead the Angels by a game. Uh, as someone who's seen the Angels a lot through the years, why should we expect something different this year in their effort to make the playoffs than what we've seen in the past? One very simple aspect, Buster, they're pitching. You know, we've been saying this about the Angels for so long that they need starting pitching. It seems as though they finally have it. Um, I think there are still some questions in the rotation, and I think they're going to be among the teams that are looking for starting pitching at the trade deadline if they remain in it. But I think they will remain in it because Shohei Otani, we've seen him mature as a pitcher as he started to get innings under his belt coming off Tommy John surgery. It's there. Noah Syndergaard, he had a rough start um, the other day against the Rangers, but he's had a very solid season. He's getting out different ways, not striking out guys as much as he used to, but that fastball is still in the upper 90s, and he's generating some weak contact. Patrick Sandoval, he's one of the best young pitchers in the sport. I don't think we talk about him enough. I think his changeup is the best pitch in the sport. He's legitimate. Um, you've got Reed Detmers coming off the no-hitter. I mean, he was just in college two years ago, and he looks like, a legitimate young starting pitching, Michael Lorenzen. My point is, it seems like they finally have the starting pitching that they need because their lineup, when Rendon and Trout and Otani are healthy, is not really a question, right? Especially with Jared Walsh, Taylor Ward, their bullpen. I, I think Perry Manisian had did a nice job of addressing their bullpen this offseason, bringing back Rysel Iglesias, getting some pieces to bridge the gap to the closer. Those two elements are fine. They need a starting pitching. That's shown up so far this year. Like the Astros are great, right? I mean, they're still great. Um, but I think we've seen enough to know that the Angels are at least going to be in contention probably throughout the whole year because of that. I'm sure that you saw the tweet by Michelle Tafoya the other day. Uh, she apparently was watching the Angels broadcast and, and implored the broadcasters to do less Otani. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw right. that and I, I was like, come on. Like, he's the most talked about guy in the sport right now. What do you think when you saw that? I can't get enough Shohei Otani Buster. I can't get enough of Mike Trout. And it's just, I'm just a fan of great players. Um, I did see that tweet. I saw your response to her. Um, talk all about Shohei Otani all the time. And because I, t like I tell people all the time, and I've said it on this podcast before, We've never seen this before. We don't know how long we're going to see this. A guy who could master two things the way Shohei Otani is. And by the way, he's getting hot offensively again, if people haven't noticed. Um, we've never seen this. We probably never will. We don't know how long it'll last. Let's enjoy it. Let's talk about it as much as possible. Do you feel like the Angels have gotten a good sense of how the rhythm of how this works with Otani serving as a two-way player, maybe with more confidence than they did even at the beginning of last season? I think they have more of an understanding. I think they hit a nice groove last year in terms of just not being confined to the rules, that the artificial rules that were in place before. For example, 
not being in the lineup the day of his starts, not hitting the day before, the day after his starts. I will say though that the other, the next step for them and for Otani, and this is going to come down to communication, is, and this runs counter to what I said previously about give me all the Otani possible, being mindful of not wearing him down because this is a burden that no player has ever taken on, right? Since Babe Ruth. Um, and he's in the lineup every day. He's pitching. I, granted, it's a six-man rotation, so he's not pitching as often, but it's May. That was a long year last year. I think the next step is maybe finding a middle ground between what it was before with all the restrictions and what it was last year, right? Because when you're asking a guy to hit at the top of your lineup, to anchor your rotation, a guy who, when he's on the bases, he's still going to steal, right? Like they, he has the green light. He can go whenever he wants. That's a lot of wear and tear. And you take a long view of this Angels team. They want to be in the playoffs, right? They want to contend. They want to play deep into October. You're not doing that without Shohei Otani. I think the next step is going to be, where are you factoring in those off days? How are you taking some of the load off of him as this season prolongs? One more on Otani before you go. Uh, you mentioned that he's starting to get hot, starting to get a feel for a swing. I think the biggest change from the Otani of 2021 that won the MVP versus the Otani that we're seeing this year is his command as a pitcher. Because yep. there were games last year, you know, before that, where it felt like that he would lose the strike zone and struggled to get that back. If you look at his numbers so far this year, just seven walks and 46 strikeouts in 32 and a third innings. He had a start against the Red Sox recently where he threw over 80% strikes. That's remarkable improvement. Yeah, and, and to take that a step further, I think it's fastball command, right? I think that's the one thing that you saw really show up as he started to get more innings under his belt last year. And I'll take it back to the first start of this season. I think it was the first batter he faced. He was already hitting 99 with his fastball. And I don't think that was just being ramped up because it's your first start of the year. And, and I talked to Joe Madden about this after the game. It's that he has the confidence in that fastball. Because what you saw last year, especially as he was working through that, was it was 95, 96 early. And then if he was in a situation that was tight, runners in scoring position, you, you would see him rear back and hit 99, 100. But the fact that he's going to that early in a game, at least to what Joe Madden said, that shows that he's confident that he can locate that fastball. And when Shohei Otani can locate that fastball, that splitter plays up, that slider plays up, it opens up everything else for him. And that's what we saw. The starts that would go haywire last year, as you said, he would, he didn't find the strike zone. He would lose it. And he couldn't throw that fastball for strikes where he wanted to. When he does... He is very difficult to hit. And I think that's been the big development for Shohei Otani. That's why going into the year, Buster, I saw upside in him because he very clearly improved as a pitcher. And that's showing up so far. All right, Alden. Great to talk with you. And again, everything you said about Juan Soto at this point is speculation. <laughs> I told oh, you it's anything more. You're going to hear it. But it's fun. You're going to hear it on Twitter, Buster. You're going to hear this on Twitter, <laughs> Buster. RIP your mentions. <laughs> all right i'll see you thanks buster for the ones who get it done granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer call click granger.com or just stop by you can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. 
So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America or all around the world. Or you can go to his uh, go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? Buster, I'm excellent. How are you today? See, that surprises me because you're a Red Sox fan. And I looked at the standings this morning, 13 games out of first place. And I don't, I know you well enough to know that while you wake up every day expecting the best things out of the world, uh, you are not someone who's going to say, yeah, this is going to be 1978 reversed, (laughs) where, you know, the Yankees uh, in 1978 made up a huge deficit, 14 games in the American League East. I don't think you're expecting the Red Sox to do that moving forward. Can I get a mulligan? I am excellent with the exception of being a Red Sox fan. Everything else is excellent, though, Buster. It's springtime. But, yeah, I remember 1978. You remember 1978. I mean, it's early. We start to get serious around Memorial Day. It's very close. We get really serious July 4th. But uh, things are not looking particularly wonderful at Fenway Park right now. So let me hear your perspective as a Red Sox fan. Uh, Do you think they should trade Xander Bogarts? Wow, that is a really tough call, of course. And I don't want them to. But uh, knowing the dynamics of him being a Scott Boris client, knowing the fact that he is probably going to seek top dollar, which is his right in free agency. uh, Let's revisit this conversation in two weeks. I think if they are still bottoming out, they probably have to. They have a uh, replacement there uh, in Trevor Story. Who knows what's happening there? Um, probably so. What are your feelings about this? Yeah, uh, I think that, uh, I mean, personally, I think the Red Sox, as uh, we've talked about in the podcast before, they should have been more aggressive in their spring conversation with Xander. I think he would have been open to talking about an extension that would allow him to stay. He's done that in the past, but their offer was an insult in my opinion. And if that's where we are, then yes, you can't just let not only Xander Bogarts, but they have all these pitchers who are, you know, are headed into free agency in the fall. Why not? You know, it's a lost year. You might as well take advantage of the assets as opposed to just letting guys walk away for nothing. But I, I am going to be curious to see what the reaction of fans like yourself is going to be, especially because you got a little PTSD from the Mookie Betts trade. Absolutely. And another trade comes to mind of a beloved homegrown star 18 years ago already, Nomar Garcia, who was seemingly, you know, things were not working out well in, at the trading deadline in 2004. They trade him away. Uh, Orlando Cabrera, Doug Mentkevich, the, the Expos connection with Cabrera. And of course, that worked out well. But uh, that's a once in a lifetime thing as we both remember. Yep. They traded John Lester, you remember, uh, after making him what was uh, regarded then as kind of an insulting contract offer. It worked out well for him with the Cubs. Let's just say that. All right, <laughs> let's get to this week's Phantom Franchise. 
All right. Buster, Indianapolis was a city on the move in 1985. The Indianapolis Colts had just completed their first season at the Hoosier Dome. The skyline was expanding upward, and the old train station was getting a makeover as a future festival marketplace. Seeking to get a jump on other potential expansion cities, a group of Indian investors held a press conference in February 1985, announcing that they were forming a future MLB team, which would be called the Indianapolis Arrows. They unveiled a logo, as well as a series of red, white, and blue pullover jerseys. There was a lot of attention on Indianapolis. Lead investor Art Angotti told the Indianapolis Star some years later. All the infrastructure efforts were putting Indianapolis on television and on the sports map. The prospective ownership group secured local broadcast arrangements and launched a season ticket drive that resulted in 12,000 people putting down a deposit. They enlisted Cubs announcer Harry Carey as the featured speaker at a downtown rally that summer. I'll do everything in my power to help get a franchise, Carey said, because I believe this city is where a major league team could really succeed. Despite all this positive momentum, they ran into problems when it came to one very important thing, Buster, a home ballpark, the Hoosier Dome, later the RCA Dome. This was mapped out for MLB use, but the field dimensions were less than optimal. An old-timers game there in, in August 1984 featured a right field fence that was but 182 feet from home plate. In November, the group met with MLB's Long Range Planning Committee in New York and were told that MLB had no defined timetable for expansion. By the end of 1985, Angotti's group refunded the season ticket deposits and he left the group in April 1989. Two years later, the National League voted to expand to Denver and Miami, but today we imagine a major league club in the Hoosier State the Indianapolis Arrows, and they are this week's Phantom franchise. So there's so much that I could ask you about, uh, you know, <laughs> 182 feet in a distance. <laughs> can you, you know, the only good thing about that is, is that people stop complaining about Yankee Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> 30 major league ballparks. What was that that I heard about Yankee Stadium, the short porch in right field? 182 feet, Buster, brings to mind the old L.A. Coliseum with that giant net out there. Remember that? Oh, uh, totally. Uh, you know, and uh, I mean, who needs steroids if the distance was 182 feet, right? Amazing. Um, and we've talked. Yeah. The, the fact that Harry Carey was part of their effort, does that tell you about the power of Harry Carey? Can you imagine? And John Sterling is a friend. Uh, you know, Michael Kay are a friend. Can you imagine? Th- those, you know, the, any announcer today having the power to have a, a, a drive for tickets and not even for their own team. You no. know, Harry Carey's a Cubs announcer having such reach that he was in a, considered to be an important figure in that. Midwestern cultural baseball icon buster. Uh, and I think it's actually this story is kind of amazing because this group disbanded. Uh, it took years until it finally kind of petered out. And you and I talked about this last year with the uh, when we were talking about old National League franchises in the 19th century in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is kind of a funny place uh, for modern MLB because of overlapping territorial rights. It's a little too close to Chicago, a little too close to Cincinnati. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. It's probably never going to happen there. 
as uh, viable a candidate uh, as it might be. Yeah, that's right. When people talk about expansion, I always bring up Nashville, not only because I'm biased and I lived there for a long time, but also because it's perfectly placed as a map dot. Yeah. Just far enough away from Atlanta, just far enough away from Cincinnati, from St. Louis to have its own space. And you're right, Indianapolis uh, would not have had that. I wonder what Harry Carey's uh, bosses thought about his efforts. I, I suspect Harry Carey could do anything he wanted to do at that point, Buster. He was a rock star, as we remember, out there uh, pushing Budweiser all over the place. Well, and if you know any more about his history, which we won't get into, yes, he did just about <laughs> anything he wanted to do. All right. All right. Uh, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, everybody. Here we go. One of these four teams has never featured an image of a hat within its primary logo. Is it the Texas Rangers? Is it the Philadelphia Phillies, the New York Yankees, or the San Francisco Giants? One of these teams has never featured the image of a hat within its primary logo. Texas Rangers, Phillies, Yankees, or Giants? Uh, Taylor, you want to lead us off this week? Surely I will go and I'm sure this is wrong because I'm sure in like 1928 they used a logo for a year, but I'm going to go Yankees just because they are steadfast with the iconic Yankees logo. Okay, Sarah, I will go Giants. Any want to give any rationale behind that? No, I I got none. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I'm stealing your answer. I'm going to go Giants as well. You're all wrong because it was the Philadelphia Phillies. Ah! Oh, wait, wait, wait. Can we get a redo on that? Yeah. I'm sorry. I I blew the answer on that. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Okay. Three, two, one. Sarah Buster, the San Francisco Giants and the New York Giants never featured the image of a hat in their primary logo. The Yankees, Taylor. What about that top hat logo that we yes, see all the time? I knew that. Oh, one. the dumb on top now. hat. Oh, I didn't know that can be considered primary. Damn it. Well, the Texas Rangers, they had a cowboy hat. They're using yeah, we it a lot this one. year. Yeah. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies had a hat prior to their swirly P of the early 70s. For some reason, it was like a hat with orbiting baseballs. So the Giants are the correct answer. Sarah Buster, congratulations. Taylor, go back and study your Yankees visual history. <laughs> I'll get right on that, Todd. Yeah, <laughs> Todd, my sense is we're getting a lot more correct answers than we've had in the past. Doesn't it feel like? Because there were a lot of dry periods uh, in, in the last couple of years with Taylor and I. We'd go weeks without getting a correct answer. I attribute this directly to Sarah's involvement. No, no yes. question. No doubt about it. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. Jason Hayward's legacy with the Chicago Cubs will always be tied to Game 7 of the 2016 championship. Cleveland's Rajai Davis stunned the Cubs with a home run off of Roldis Chapman, and then before extra innings, the game was delayed by rain. In an impromptu team meeting, it was the highly respected Hayward who rallied and encouraged the others. And then this happened. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. But Hayward's impact on Chicago goes much deeper than a baseball championship. I spoke to him about this recently at his locker in Wrigley Field. 
Early in the 2020 COVID shutdown, Hayward was involved in community outreach in West Chicago. One of the good things to come out of a shortened pandemic season was I had time to be in this community here and you know, meet up with some other athletes and fellowship. And we all wanted to get together and get on the west side, south side, and just kind of see what was going on. Yeah. See where we could be of service. Um, and then we met up with By the Hand Club. It's a nonprofit. And they do charters. Well, sorry. They do like charter schools, but I think it's the first one was in Austin, like South Austin. And they started with elementary. Now they have middle school. They're working to do a high school. And then eventually a college campus. And we spent a day with kids over there and did these trust circles and let them talk to us. Let them tell us what they were seeing every day at home, grocery store, what they weren't seeing in their communities. Um, talked about being comfortable around police and how they're here to protect and serve. And there were actually cops there to share their stories and like so this is like april may june covid year this is may just before george floyd just just before okay um that's when that started but then yeah we started some projects that lasted pretty much up until we started playing yeah um that year but that's how i got met i met up with uh by the hand club and uh sam macho is actually the one who put me in touch with them um and he he rallied the athletes together but then they let me know that they had this project that they were doing in North Austin, this uh, sports facility. And then they were partnering up with Intentional Sports, uh, Chicago Fire, Riot Games. Oh, no, I know you. Working with the NFL, trying to get the NBA involved as well. But they said they, they wanted a baseball academy to be a part of their facility. And they couldn't think of anybody better to, to start that with. And to me, I've always looked for opportunities to get back. Um, I mean, not just in the COVID year, I've done a lot with Cubs charities, but done a lot with other guys on the team because this is, uh, to me, it's, obviously it's a special city, but the community comes out to our games. Like we're in the middle of a neighborhood, so you get, you get to see that effect right away. Um, starting the Players Alliance in, in 2020, that, that was another thing for us to have African American ball players be organized and, yeah. and let everyone know what we're doing, so that way we can stay in tune and, and not just talk about, hey, we we have we we have a problem, we need a solution. Hayward remembers what he heard from kids. I will say the toughest thing to hear that stuck with me from all the kids was to get to the closest place to get good food, healthy food. Like they had to ride in the car for at least 40 minutes outside of their community. Really? Outside of the community. There's 22 liquor stores in the community. Grocery store doesn't exist. And every time something came through, they would try they had to leave because it just wasn't sustainable. People couldn't afford yeah. whatever. The the travel that they do to come to school, a lot of them had to do it on their own. You know, I know kids think about it. my mom grew up in New York, Queens, but today's to me it's different times. You know, to have kids. So they had to find their way and if they don't go, no one's gonna care. No one's gonna care. And God. you talk about trying to be an athlete or be anything productive, you come to school, learn. Yeah. Home, not have food, I have fresh food, um, to not have you know, greens, vegetables, things like that. Uh, but the fact that they would have that struggle and then at the same time, like feel like they always had to look over their shoulder. What came out of those conversations? The Jason Hayward Baseball Academy. We actually have guys working already, and I want to be a part of that as well. So to 
through this baseball academy to have kids come through to be able to do something after school to be able to have some fellowship to be able to have some competition some character building all these things that sports bring um, baseball is an awesome teacher for that and so that's how we started the Jason Harris Baseball Academy. Um, my wife, she was there the day that we did the groundbreaking. She's going to be a part of this in, in some way, shape, form, or fashion for young women in the community because she's from Chicago. Yeah. Um, so it's just, this is home. I know my kids are going to be. Will you stay here? here? Are you planning on living here the rest we'll, of your we'll life? We'll be here. We have, we have family here. Um, so we'll be here, whether it's full time or not, we'll be in Chicago. Um, so it's just, to me, just so many things and so many reasons to want to get back, to make it a better place, um, to make this you know, community feel like they take ownership. And that's that's the North Austin, like I was saying. So it's that was a big day to me to wrap this up. But um, we go to do the groundbreaking, but to hear the stories, the testimonies of people that live in that community, talk about for 40 years, they had to fight to make sure the wrong thing didn't get put in that piece of land. And so now that 10 acres that we're putting this facility on, they were just so rejoiceful to have something positive coming to them. And it would change how the neighborhood looks for, for a lot of better and not something coming in just to make money. The Academy will open later this year, a case of a dream coming to life. It's, it's, it's humbling to know that you know, something will be here much longer than, than I'll be here. Hopefully my kids and so on. Yeah. Uh, to l- allow them it's only one right now. God willing, we have more, like we talked about. But uh, to allow my son to see how much a small dream can start with and turn into something that's so much good for so many other people, um, and the way that all, that helps everyone. You know, I, I don't think you know, sometimes people realize when they t- ask us about African American players playing baseball or sports or anything like that. But that's our culture. That's our you know, that's our part of our struggle. Um, for our families and, and friends and whatnot, obviously we make enough money here, but you, know, you have that opportunity to just make an impact and you know, to send one less person going home or not going home to their family. Um, and then that that just it starts with that dream, and then it just makes it easier for everyone else. You know, this make this community nicer, the one next to it can get nicer, and so on and so on. Um, so again, just to be able to take ownership for something, but to empower other people, I think that's the. That's the thing that gives me chills the most. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. First up, we have Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew writes in, Hey, Buster, do you have more fun watching the really good 100-pace winning teams like the Yankees, Dodgers, and Mets play good, clean, close baseball games or the bad 100-pace losing teams play crazy games like the Reds, no, 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 or Baltimore's new left field? No, there's no doubt over the course of a six-month season, it's a lot more fun covering a team that wins 100 games or has a a great season. I covered a 101-loss team in the San Diego Padres in 1993, and while they're great guys on that team, you know, people that, uh, you know, run into to this day, and you go back to some of those memories – uh, there, that part of that was a slog, <laughs> like the really bad days. On the other hand, it covered the 98 Yankees who won 125 games. And that was fun because you were just like, man, how long can they keep this up? And so when you, you know, write down in your scoreboard that the team has a record of 26 and nine, it just seems unreal. And you're just wondering, can, can this continue? Uh, and, and I think that's the way it'll be with the Yankees this year. You know, can they keep up a 750 winning pace? 
Last one for today, T. Jones at TNJ629 writes in, Jose Trevino hit his first Yankees home run and Anthony Santander tossed it into the crowd after it bounced back onto the field. Shouldn't he have thrown that back to the Yankees dugout? Yeah, I saw that. It was It's a surprise that someone did that in this era. Like back in the day, old school players, they wouldn't have thought twice about throwing it in the stands. Like they're not going to save a, a, a you know a memento for a, an opposing player. But in this era, players talking all the time, being uh, you know represented by same agents, being friends. Yeah, that was a surprise. All right, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets while you're watching games. Please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you didn't listen to Monday's show and want to circle back, we encourage you to download it. But you can also watch it on ESPN's YouTube page. Buster and Tim going at it. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, Tim is always uh, a ton of fun. Uh, that's it for today. My thanks to Jason Hayward, to Alden, to Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate quality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.